Hello, and welcome to Presenting, a podcast where we chat about various topics related to role-playing games, typically Paizo products such as Pathfinder and Starfinder, but also others. I'm John Godek, and with me today are Mark Seifter and Stephen Glicker from Roll for Combat. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thanks for Hi. having us. Yeah, thanks so much, and, and thanks for accommodating my, my schedule as well. Um, I was really looking forward to the last time we scheduled, and then you guys had to talk to some Eric Mona guy. I figured these probably a little bit more important than me. So I, that was okay. That was okay. But thanks for getting me back on your schedule. I, I really appreciate that. So uh, Mark Seifter is director of game design for Roll for Combat and former Paizo design manager, where he helped create both the Pathfinder second edition and Starfinder. Steven Glicker is owner of Roll for Combat, where he also jams and plays. In addition to Roll for Combat, Steven is the founder and president of Skyscraper Studios, an award-winning digital studio providing comprehensive services for the development, design, and administration of all things digital. Their clients have included the Wall Street Journal, Sports Illustrated, Discover Magazine, Disney, Scholastic, Girl Scouts of America, Bristol Myers Squibb, Bear, Genetech, Genetech. Which one was it? Genetech. Genetech, and many more. We had a discussion on what that was, and I forgot because I didn't write the phonetics in here um you can find mark on twitter at mark seifter and steven is at roll for combat and you can buy their products at battlezoo.com uh, so mark and steven could you each uh, talk a little bit about how you got started in tabletop rpgs and kind of how that led to roll for combat and let's start with mark if that's okay sure so uh, I guess is the question how I got started playing tabletop RPGs or how I got started in the uh, business, in the business, in the business. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, so I was pursuing my PhD at MIT uh, on artificial intelligence. And um, one of the designers at Paizo, Sean K. Reynolds, sort of left Paizo and a job opening opened up. So I applied for it. And I got the position and became a designer at Paizo. And that's sort of how I, the main way that I got into the industry, I'd done a little bit of freelancing for third-party products. Uh, before that, not a not a huge amount. I'd done a lot of playing and GMing, but not um, like professional designing and writing uh, in the industry. And um, so then I worked for Paizo for... Uh, just under nine years and um, starting from around the middle of Pathfinder first edition with um, just a tiny, tiny thing in um, monster codex that technically got me credit in monster codex, but really um, starting with Pathfinder unchained and moving forward and then worked on Starfinder Pathfinder second edition and really like, did some author or design or design lead work on just about every product for Pathfinder second edition, except for a few of the adventure paths until mm -hmm. I um, eventually left to become the director of game design at um, Roll for Combat uh, with Steven. And that's where I am now. I'm working on all sorts of cool products that are the kinds of things that Paizo couldn't necessarily put out because they're very specific, but that are perfect right. for uh, another company like Wolf for Combat to put out. And that was about a year ago that you made the move or was that longer? Yeah, it was a year and and like a few weeks. So almost mm. exactly a year ago. And, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. So I had actually interviewed you a couple of years ago. And so anybody who wants a more detailed background on Mark can, can kind of look up uh, the individual interview with him. So, Stephen, I looked at your bio, uh, your gaming bio you have on on uh, Roll for Combat, and one of the things I'll say is that um, you and I are really close at age because yes. a lot of those same things that you you point out there I, were my experiences. But if you could go ahead and talk about how you got started with uh, role playing games and kind of how that led to Roll for Combat, yeah my my experience is a little different. So I started out actually in video games. That sort of was my first love. And uh, for, I'd say, mm, probably the last 20-ish years or so, I was mostly in the video game forum. And I was doing games for people like Disney Online, 
and they did Harry Potter games and games for Scholastic and believe it or not, games for like Sports Illustrated and believe it or not, pharmaceutical companies would do what's called gamification where mm -hmm. we use teaching techniques and use game theory. So I was doing a lot of that and I still do it, but not to that big of an extent. And so I was mostly in the video game realm. And then um, that was back before video games got huge and then video games kind of got huge and it got really diluted and and for whatever reason i had kids and i moved and you know i just sort of fell out of it a little i was mostly playing the games and and not really working and a lot of my people i was working with um left their companies um i was working a lot with blizzard and blizzard at the time mm -hmm. when world of warcraft came out they were really small and it was a very tiny team and you knew everyone there and i would go and just hang out with them and then I would go, uh, I can't remember the last time I went there. And then it was just like, I didn't know anyone. It was, you know, it's a huge right. company now. So, you know, the whole industry just changed. And then, you know, for whatever reason, I, I did a video game podcast. So I switched for years and years and years and years. I've been playing a weekly Pathfinder game. Uh, before that, it was 3.5. And I always said to them, I'm like, you know, we should record this and put it like as a podcast. And they didn't really want to do it. They they're like, nah, I don't really want to do it. And I was like, all right, come on, guys. Like, why not? And they were very hesitant because they, I don't know, they thought they'd become famous or something, or they didn't want to get <laughs> bothered. I'm like, dude, you're not you're not that popular. No, like, yeah. no one's ever gonna bother you. But whatever. Yeah. And then Glass Cannon came out. Yeah. And I was so angry. I was like, you guys, we're doing it now. I was yeah. like, I'm like, we're doing it. If you don't want to do it, then leave the game. Cause I'm I we missed our opportunity, but now we're second in the boat instead of first because i was talking about it for years before that and i wanted mm. to do with um um i first i wanted to do with carrying crown and then i wanted mm. to do it with um uh what's the one that takes place in uh not halkin star oh um it's the science fiction one i forgot the name numeria so iron gods yeah. Mm. Yes, iron gods iron gods so we i wanted to do with iron gods god i loved iron gods i liked actually both those and then um, we were finishing up Iron Gods and then Starfinder came out and I said, this is perfect. We'll do a Starfinder. We'll teach people how to play. It's a new system. At that point, we were kind of getting bored with Pathfinder First Edition because we were playing it to death and we've seen it all and we were really just kind of done with it. So we're very excited. And then we started the podcast and the podcast was pretty popular. Back then, there was only like one or two podcasts right. and I called the role for combat and um, you know, I was just going to PaizoCons and Gen Cons and hanging out with everyone. And next thing you know, I was talking to Eric Mona and just getting friendly with everyone at Paizo. And I uh, got friendly with Owen Casey Stevens and got friendly with the guys in No Direction and, you know, just sort of like branched out. And then Pathfinder Second Edition was announced. And then I'm like, all right, we got to do a you know, podcast for that. We've wrapped up Starfinder um, uh, Dead Sons. And right in time to go right into Pathfinder 2nd Edition. And then I got this idea because every convention I would go to, people would ask, when are they going to do the RPG Superstar contest? Right. And right. I was at PAX Unplugged in 2019, and Eric Mona was there. And I said, hey, man, let's. Uh, are you doing anything with that license? And he's like, no. <laughs> and I'm like, do you, do you mind if maybe we do something with it? And he's like, yeah, let's work it out. And we worked it out. And. I was able to take it over and he and I worked out what it should be. And then we built this thing where you make monsters. And strangely, it was because of the pandemic. It all came to be because what happened is I finished up the book and finished up the first Battles of Bestiary in the 2000. I, I have then, that on my shelf. I'm going to pull it out. Oh, really? And then what ended up happening was I was just going to make it and then like bring it to, to Gen Con and sell it like that. That's pretty much what I was going to do. And it was going to probably yeah, end there. Love the hardcore. Yeah. Yeah. And because of the pandemic, they're like, oh, we're not going to Gen Con. There's no Gen Con. I was like, oh, now what? I already made the book. Now what am I going to do? And then all my friends from Blizzard, they're like, do, do a Kickstarter. Do a Kickstarter. So I was like, oh, okay. So I did a Kickstarter and it was pretty popular. And it did like $301,000 and everyone seemed to like it. And Mark and I were talking at that time about the monster part system. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, I went crazy and then Mark did his Dragon Book and yeah. did his Jewel of the Indigo Isles. And then it was very popular. And then, you know, it was a lot of fun and I was having a lot of fun. And at the time, I was also working with pharmaceutical companies and it was a lot of work. And I was doing like 14 hour days and 
I was very busy and I was having a lot more fun with this than the pharmaceutical stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, eh, let's, let's see if I can move on to this. Cause I don't know how much longer I can keep working in that space. I still work in the space It obviously calmed down and it's just kind of grown from there. And then, you know, it's like right place, right time. And now, especially now after the whole OGL fiasco, and that's another right place, right time. And right. now suddenly um, everyone, I wouldn't say everyone, but there's really only two secondary publishers, third-party publishers for Pathfinder. And we're probably the biggest one. And now suddenly everyone's switching and it's a good place to be. And now we're very popular and everyone wants to know. And suddenly we have to come out with more products though. I guess it's just, again right place right time it's it's mm-hmm. just weird it was a, it was a it's a series of unlikely events that caused all this it was like chance meeting with eric to get rpg superstar chance meeting of covid canceling gen con that made me do a kickstarter and mm-hmm. you know and so forth and so forth and it just seems to be a lot of chance meetings and chance that seems to keep going so so kind of what's your vision now for role for combat it seems like you've gone from this actual play podcast thing to now you're a publishing house. That's pretty big. And uh, you know, you kind of talked about the space there, uh, you know, Cobalt press had been pretty big, but they kind of made the move over to five E and mm-hmm. you know, now I kind of wonder while well, they're doing their black flag thing and, and they're on board with orc, but still it seems like you're, you've become a pretty big player in the space. Kind of what's your vision going forward with it? So, we Mark and I actually talk very carefully about the products we put out because we're not that big. Like Mark is the only other full-time employee besides me. Yeah. We have a huge number of freelancers and artists and programmers and volunteers that help. So, you know, um, I kind of run, I run my skyscraper company like that too. In fact, skyscraper, I'm like the only full-time employee. Mm-hmm. Everyone else is like full-time freelance or full-time well basically full-time contracts or full-time freelance i mean um, i suppose so, that's true here too i'm still full-time contract yeah full-time contract but it's it i won't get into the reasons um i won't get into the reasons but there's it's just how you set up your companies i used to have yeah. a very very large company blah 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 mm-hmm. i was i was just like three blocks away from 9-11 after that i changed my entire philosophy of how i run my companies and now i do it this way and mm-hmm. uh it's been working very well i've been doing it for 23 years no problems so this is the way i do it um we are very careful because we can't put out a lot of products and you know we want to make sure we put out products that people are interested in people can do something with it has to work for both pathfinder and 5e because we do everything for both right. and you know, really, the the battles we best Terry, was because, believe it or not, Eric Mona is the one who told me. He's like, "Look, everyone wants monsters. Everyone needs monsters. It's a, it's a it's a safe thing to do. And if you're going to come out with something, do that." And you know, a lot of people have said things like, "Oh, don't do a lore book." Well, we did a lore book, and it's done fine, but it doesn't do nearly as well as our other books. Like, you know, it's like the things that people say to do, we're doing. You know, it's like do a dragon mm-hmm. book. Well, that was Mark's idea. But the dragon book is like doing ridiculous. Like right. everyone loves dragons. Everyone wants to play a dragon. Everyone wants to know lore about dragons. Everyone likes art of dragons. And so it's like a 136 page book about dragons and being a dragon and playing a dragon. And it seems to do very well. Um, I did do an adventure path, um, which is 99.9% done. We're just missing two pieces of art. And then is it's it done. one map? Is that what yeah, no, is? the map's actually more or less done. It's two pieces of art. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> well, I realized at the end, I, I, I don't have a piece of art, so I had uh, I added a new piece to commission of showing them celebrating if they win mm-hmm. at the end. So I thought it'd be nice, like, send-off. So I added a new piece. Um, and then I realized we we're missing, like, one of the main bad guys. And I was like, uh-oh, need a main bad guy art. So I had to get that one done quick, too. So uh, I had opportunity to work with... Patrick Rennie and Linda Zayas Palmer and Ron Lundin, you know, like three of the top right. designers of adventures. And I run adventure paths. That's actually all I run. And I've run about a third of them at this point, probably closer to like a fifth because so many have come out, but I've run a lot of venture paths. So I use, you know, a lot of skills that I learned to build like what I consider like the ultimate adventure path. And it, it kind of killed me. So I don't think I'm doing that again, but it's almost out. And at least I've said I did it once. So enjoy the adventure path and play it to your heart's content. But it did help us build out the world of Alucard 
and build out like our world is a little different than others. It's kind of a little more mm -hmm. fun and goofy. I say it's very similar to a Guardians of the Galaxy um, oh, type world. It's like, you know, it's very fun. It is serious, but also a little goofy and you can find anything there. And, you know, what I do like about Guardians of the Galaxy is that humans are just like, they're just not the most common ancestry. Like mm. there's, there's Quill, but that's about it. Like everyone else is just like all over the place. You know, there's right, like right. some humans. Uh, ours is the same way. In fact, there's not a single human uh, or elf or dwarf or, or gnome or any of the common ancestries in any of our products. Like we, we mm. use all of our own because we're like, those are covered to death. So we try to make things funky. But now so, we have so a new battles. Sorry, what are you going to say? I was going to say, you mentioned uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. And one of the mm -hmm. things I, I wonder is, are, are you going to be doing any Starfinder related things? No. <laughs> no. Oh, I love Starfinder. I'm, I love Starfinder too, but it doesn't sell as much. However, yeah, yeah. I caveat that with we. Okay, so one of the main reasons I hired Mark is because the the things we do are very complex systems like the monster part system, right. uh, which required someone to understand the mechanics behind the game. Mm -hmm. um, we're now doing battle zoo Eldemon, which is actually the thing I've been working on for years. And Mark and I have been talking about it for a long time. That should in theory be system agnostic and work mm -hmm. pretty much on anything. You should be able to make it work with Starfinder or Pathfinder first edition. You have to do some work on it and some conversion, but it's going to be designed in such a way that it should work with any system more or less, uh, with some, I don't think it would be very hard to get it to work with Starfinder. So, you know, maybe if I really get crazy, I can come out with the Starfinder conversion kit or something, you know, mm -hmm. um, so that it will work that way. And that was actually not You'd bad still idea. have to redo the elements and the classes, yeah. uh, which is a pretty decent amount of work, but the Eldemon themselves would not Correct. be that much work once once that was done. Like, once you were like, okay, I've done the class, I've made mm -hmm. some classes for Starfinder, and I have fire. Mm -hmm. then you could make almost an arbitrary number of fire Eldemon converted from PF2 to Starfinder quickly, but it would not mm -hmm. be quick at all to make the class mm -hmm. and the elements. Yeah. So that's worried, sort of I, how it works. I'm sorry if I'm giving you, I'm giving you the long form answers here, by the way. So no, no, that's fine. That's Yeah, that's I'm not great. giving the short form. These are the long form answers. I have the short ones that I do, but I'll give you the long ones since people might be interested. Yeah. Um, yeah no, basically, good. we're interested in system, like, I have behind me a lot of books and you know mm -hmm. what? And I'm not knocking anyone else's products. But a lot of these products are the same as everyone else's products and that's fine. And you know what? I even saw someone like we were advertising our, our battles of bestiary and someone's like, I have as, I have as many monsters as I need. I don't need another one. And I totally get that. I'm like, yeah, you know what? You're right. So how is ours different? Well, one, we try to make the monsters very unique and two, they're all RPG superstar winners. So right. they're not written by us, you know, right. they're written by the fans. And if you're interested in five E I won't get into the whole design aspect, but the way five E monsters are designed is not the same way traditionally that Pathfinder monsters are designed. We designed our five E monsters using the Pathfinder methodology and mm -hmm. anyone who's used it in five E is like, Oh my God, these monsters are amazing. I'm like, you know, there's reasons. Like, we we know right, why. Right. There's, there's, hey, they do more than two things. You know, it's like, wow, they have full stat blocks and can do like 20 amazing things, and they actually live and have interesting battles. And I'm like, that's because we give them the space to breathe. So that's something we do. But you know, so we're trying to come up with like new systems. You know, whether it's a dragon book or uh, the monster part system or now Eldemon, which will allow you to capture Eldemon and use them in your games and you can either just have them as a collection item that anyone can do. It's very quick and easy and you could just have fun collecting them and then you can battle each other with them. And you know, it's, it's basically Pokemon, but it's, it's called Eldemon, but it's very similar. Um, anyone could do it. You don't have to be an Eldemon trainer, but then we have two brand new classes and one's the Eldemon trainer where you could actually, you know, befriend Eldemon, train them and then evolve them. And then they can do battle for you. And that's going to be a very complex class because it's going to have 13 different elements and, you know, hundreds of different Eldemons. So you can only imagine just how many things you can do. And it's like, it's like a spell caster who can cast 
every spell you know it's like it's like mm-hmm. it's not just a spellcaster it's a spellcaster who has 13 schools of magic now instead of four um and then there's even the elemental avatar which is basically like airbending you know which is oh mm-hmm. it's like a, it's like an avatar so you know these are classes that are so complex and so unique that i don't think a i don't think a lot of other people have the uh ability to develop them in the manner that we are i think anyone could develop them but mark has the pedigree to develop these type of things that Mm. very very few people have you know since he helped write the rules he knows exactly where everything has to fall so that it's balanced he knows the procedure of how to test like we're going to be doing the play testing for the class very shortly so he knows how to do a play test for a class and get the information back from users and then apply it to the class so that we get a balanced class you know there's all these little things you don't think about that you have that goes into actually making these you know a lot of people put out these books they'll literally just write it and put it out and that's it but you know we're doing it a much more nuanced method where we actually have the fans and our um you know people buy the products help develop them too like we have the year of monsters I didn't talk about that. Your monsters where we came up with monstrous ancestries because there's a lot of ancestries, but no one's playing a doppelganger. No one's playing a mimic or intelligent weapon or demons. And, you know, we're like, okay, let's do it. And we're doing really outside the box stuff like the doppelganger. I don't know. I haven't even told you this, Mark, but people like freaking loving the doppelganger. I've been getting a lot of positive comments because people can't believe it works. People are like, I can't believe you can be a doppelganger, actually play a doppelganger do doppelganger things and it's balanced. That's what I hear everyone say, by the way. Um, I think they're used to it where it just kind of gives up on trying to be balanced. And it's just like, you could turn it to anybody. Nobody can figure it out even at level one. And that's just what you are. Or they're used to it where it just doesn't give you much. So you don't feel like you're able to change into a lot of shapes. Right. But even that we have design streams where we're having people give us notes and feedback because we're going to come out with a book at the end of the year with all the ancestries and we're going to modify them again. So like they go through internal testing and internal review and the guys we have are that for that are very, very good. Um, and then I go through it. It's, I, I kind of go through it at the end. <laughs> I, I actually am better at finding uh, mistakes or, or clarifying issues than actually the, uh, the balance that's i i trust mark to do that i'm more Mm -hmm. like is this supposed to do this and he's like oh yeah you're right let's add this sentence here um and then you know based on what people find as they play it we adjust it and that's kind of our products our products are things you just they're i would call high level products that a publisher like paizo would put out Mm -hmm. not even a cobalt press like paizo you know someone who can really do classes now there's a lot of people put out classes um but they don't do it the paizo way and we Mm -hmm. do it the paizo way which is very nuanced very balanced and you know very meticulous well i would say it's like edition yeah it's important for the math to be really tight on that uh mark yeah i would say it's like if someone was putting out something in the paizo way but that could be on a topic that the Paizo would might not be able to do. Like Paizo couldn't put out a book that was a 136 page book with one dragon ancestry in that book. Mm-hmm. They just couldn't. They are a company that like we have me, Steven, and a lot of freelancers. Paizo has like almost a hundred people and a lot of freelancers. They if they put out a book that was only about one dragon and that was one of their big hardcover releases, it doesn't appeal to a broad enough base of like everybody they need every book to be something more or less that um that everyone might want Mm -hmm. uh but we can put out things that are that a smaller subset of people will really really want and we can do uh hard difficult design challenges that would normally require you to have someone who really really understood the system because well you know i wrote a decent chunk of the system too so that's Mm -hmm. sort of i think that's our business model yeah, we're we're doing stuff that's very hard. <laughs> it, it's just it's funny because lots of people when we put out the dragon book, a lot of people tried to do this, and the number one thing people said before it came out is like, "How, 
How are you going to do it? How, how, how? Mm-hmm. That was the number one question. And then everyone read it. They're like, oh, it's one of those, like, it was so simple. Why didn't I think of that? Because you didn't, you know? And and even, like, the Eldemon book, which is even a step above, I'd say, Dragons, and then some, you know, everyone's tried to do a Pokemon-type product or monster hunting or capturing, you know, mm-hmm. type product and they're very popular there's about a million video games and actually there's a whole bunch of new ones that just came out like on kickstarter it's actually really growing um these last about this last year actually for whatever reason it's actually i know because people who played pokemon have now grown up and they're of the age right. that they can program it so they're making their own they're like oh, i'm gonna make pokemon but better so i'm seeing a lot of these you know monster capture video games mm-hmm. and no one's been able to figure out how to get into the rpg space mm-hmm. because it is incredibly hard <laughs> it is it is ridiculously impossibly hard so that's that's why mark is full-time because there's probably a very small handful of people who can do this mm-hmm. um i think on the planet quite frankly so, so let's uh, shift gears a little bit and yeah. uh mark can you talk a little bit about what you do for role for combat you've kind of talked about it a little bit here and how that differs from the kind of stuff that you did for paisa before and maybe how it's similar so uh, as the director of game design at Roll for Combat, I um, work very closely with Steven in setting all of the books and products that we're going to put out that are game design products for Roll for Combat, uh, putting together the outlines, getting any freelancers, or writing it myself in a lot of cases as well, uh, working on uh, the design and then um, copy fitting when uh, something is over or under, handling, editing questions, basically everything that I would have done at Paizo, except more because I'm at a higher level where I am right. like designing the products rather than like going to a meeting with 12 other people where we kind of get our ideas together and then present those at another meeting with seven other people. And um, so it's kind of like working at Paizo with less red tape, I guess. Right, there, right. there are fewer meetings uh, that that, and there's fewer logistics of getting things coordinated between six different teams to make sure everyone's on board, everyone knows where the file is, everybody is doing their step, and uh, all of that management stuff mm-hmm. that I was doing uh, at Paizo. I don't have to do as much of that. I still have to do it with freelancers, but at Paizo that that existed as well. Right. So um, basically, I can spend more time um, both sort of doing long term planning. Maybe another thing is more of marketing or going on shows, even going online, talking to fans. I have Mm -hmm. that is part of my work at Roll for Combat, as specifically determined by Steven when I talk to him about it. And it it counts towards what I'm doing. Whereas at Paizo, they're just, it does not count if you engage with fans, anything that you see when a Paizo staff member engaged with fans, it did not count as like part of their work that was like on their own additional oh, time. That's kind of that was on top on top of their 40 hours. Yeah. Unless it was a scheduled interview that yeah. got okay from marketing, those those yeah. would count for Paizo. But if like someone's on Reddit or something. Right. So basically it's more comprehensive. I can do some of the things I enjoy, like um sharing things with fans, like writing um, complex um, systems that are trying to make them simple and easy to use and uh, sort of have more creative control because Steven and I work together about what we're going to do. Um, and that's mostly the difference. But other than that, it's really quite mm-hmm. similar. I use the same techniques that I would have used before. In many cases, right. the same, like even the same programs, like in copy to do the copy fitting. Mm-hmm. And so... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the same Stephen used the same printer to print out the books, so it's um, it's very yeah. familiar. So the, mm-hmm. I, that's one of the questions I was going to ask: is with the the less red tape, do you have a, a faster from concept to to final product process than Paizo? Oh or yes. Or if using the same printer, then that that that's a bottleneck, obviously. Oh, the printer's a bottleneck. Yeah, <laughs> for yeah. sure. But like, let me tell you. And I will I will not say anything about what it is because of the fact that we have not revealed this yet. But like last week, Steven came to me and he's like, Mark, I think we should do this thing. It was another thing we had discussed last year to maybe do, mm-hmm. um, but that we had sort of set it aside. And that was on like late Monday or maybe early Tuesday. 
And um, then I was able to say, yes, that's great. Well, I liked it before. I like it now. Get an outline, get people for the outline, and just get through all of it by the end of the week. Wow. And you cannot, wow. I cannot overstate how much longer than that it would have taken at, I mean, and if, this isn't that any problem with Paizo at any big company, right? I'm right. sure it takes even longer at Wizards of the Coast. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but at Paizo, that, that would have taken, that process would have taken months to happen. Not all of it would have been me working straight through the months like I did that week, but it would have taken at least like four weeks of my time to do it um, between like concepting, going back and forth with people, making multiple outlines, getting approvals, meeting with people about the approvals for the outlines, um, different phases of things involving freelancers. And it, it happened in a week. Now, mm -hmm. in terms of start to finish, there's there's some differences because in in case in some of these cases, like Year of Monsters is a product that's over 200 pages, all of which I will have probably written. And mm -hmm. so it, at Paizo, I would not have written all 200 pages of something. It would have been all freelanced out except right. for a few pages that I took. It's usually for me about twice as fast to go through somebody else's pages than mm -hmm. to write it myself. Um, for some people, it's even more of a speed advantage to go through someone else's pages than writing it themselves. So in that sense, the writing portion does take longer in the parts that I would write myself. But I would still say that start to finish, it's, it's, it's going to be much faster because there's less red tape and there's right. less bottleneck and there's also less lead time at Paizo. By the time, like you, you see a product, like it's so far after when, um, when people were really starting to work on it. Like for example, treasure vault, uh, at the time when this airs for everybody, I think it'll be out right, for end of this every month. Yeah. Yeah. So, and we're airing in three weeks, right? So, mm -hmm. In three weeks from the day now when we're taping it. it is, so it'll be out like roughly then. Yeah. So Treasure Vault is a book that I literally wrote some of it while I was still working at Paizo. Mm -hmm. Right. And we just said at the beginning of this interview that that was something that happened that um, I switched over over a year ago. So there's, mm -hmm. there's a long process in books. It is somewhat shorter for Wolf for Combat, but it varies depending on um, book to book. Mm-hmm. Cool. So last month, uh, there's really big hadoo here uh, from Wizards of the Coast as they tried to deauthorize the open gaming license version 1.0a. And it seemed to me from the outside that uh, Roll for Combat was kind of at the forefront of this movement here um, to kind of get that. Yeah, but it, it seemed like you were like some of the most vocal people out there early on. And I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit. Uh, for me, I, I'm curious to clarify the timeline for how things happened. Like sure. when, uh, what you're allowed to say. I don't know what. No, yeah, we can we can things. say it. The fact okay. that we're willing to say things is entirely the reason that we wound up in the middle of this. Yeah. Um, because what happened was, you know, Stephen had been making really accurate predictions of what mm -hmm. Wizards and Hasbro were going to do, just based on his business knowledge. For a while. And he decided, okay, I've heard rumors that like maybe they're going to release um, the updated OGL on this one particular day, which happened to be the day before the Gizmodo article came out. We didn't know that. Uh, let's just put out a stream. So we did. They didn't release the OGL that day. But what did happen is that we started talking about what we thought might be in it, predictions based on Stephen's knowledge of uh, business. Right. And just during that stream... I received a leak of some things from the OGL. And um, we were not the first to have been given a leak. At the right. very least, we know um, that Indestructo Boy, uh, another streamer, has had, had it for multiple weeks, but was kind of afraid to quote anything directly from it, but was just like, listen, everyone, it's bad. I have it. You should know. And he was right. Um, but we were not... Uh, afraid to quote it so I just directly gave three quotes I didn't have the whole file I had selected quotes from my leak and I mm -hmm. gave those three quotes on air um, at Roll for Combat so 
rules lawyer was watching our show and took those quotes and made his own show that was like, Hey, roll for comment. Just got these three quotes from the OGL. And um, that video of his exploded because Mm -hmm. it was short and just had those quotes in it. (laughs) So then after that, um, most people on the, throughout the rest of that day were more or less saying that they thought it was a hoax or mm-hmm. like we made it up or it was even... January 4th at exactly. I think it was three thirty nine PM Eastern, Eastern is when yes. we got the quote. We got the there you leak, go. And that's when we released it to everyone. And then, um, and then immediately I started calling my lawyers. <laughs> that's yeah. the first thing yeah. I did. Yeah. And, uh, and they were, they started looking at it and they, um, so uh, the consensus was that we that, that that people thought that it was a hoax. Yeah, and mm-hmm. um, even like moderators on some news sites were like really saying some nasty stuff about it. Um, so at the very least, though, like Owen Casey Stevens came on and was like, "Look, I know both of these two people. There's no reason that they would put out information that they didn't believe in. There's no benefit. Like, it's mm-hmm. definite. I don't think it's a hoax. But he admitted he didn't know other than that he trusted us." And so some, a few people were thinking maybe it's not a hoax. The next day in the morning, uh, Linda Kodega's article drops on Gizmodo. It has all of our quotes more or less were overlapping with, with quotes that were in the Gizmodo article because, well, the leak that gave it to me knew some of the sections that were very contentious and gave me those quotes. And so, of course, a a good, well-written journalistic article would overlapped so people are wait a minute this is the same thing they were saying yesterday and gizmodo is reporting it and this seems a lot more legit there were still some people who were skeptical but it immediately went to being uh more assumed that no this is real this is probably real especially wizards were quiet they weren't like they weren't saying this is a hoax they were just kind right. of not saying anything yeah. right they were and pretty so, quiet for a couple of weeks there and then yeah. things really exploded yeah. and then they had to respond so that's sort of how we got in the middle of it was just mm-hmm. because of the people who had received leaks we were one of the first groups that that put out actual quotes of that mm-hmm. and yeah. so then we just kept having more content where we um talked to people like Ryan Dancy who Right. was the mastermind behind one of the masterminds behind the original OGL. We had Steven's lawyer who he had called come on the show to give his uh, thoughts about the legality that people listened to in case that, you know, they were worried about what was going to happen to them. Uh, I guess we were streaming right when the orc license uh, was first yep. announced. So uh, in, in uh, we, we, we read it out loud about the blog and just, had like we had like eight thousand people or something like that that were watching mm-hmm. us right then. Mm-hmm. So uh we just happened to be at the center of this just kind of by 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 chance or I would say by not completely by chance, but because I know a lot of people in a lot of circles and mm-hmm. um that's why I received a tip with the leak on that on on the OGL one point one license. Yeah. So when you heard about that, especially you, Stephen, from a, a business mm-hmm. perspective, mm-hmm. what was your initial thought from that original leak that came out and kind of what they were talking about with the licensing and everything? What were you thinking about that and what gears were going at that time? <laughs> well, you could watch the video. You could see exactly what I was thinking because it's, it's all recorded live. Yeah. But uh, at first I couldn't believe it. And then I was thinking about it. And then I was like, this will never well it didn't even matter what they were trying to do because they can do anything they want with mm-hmm. sixth edition D D and with OGL, whatever they want to call it, 2.0, 3.0. Mm-hmm. It, what they were trying to do was deauthorize 1.0A. And I knew that was impossible. I knew it couldn't be done. I knew it was going to be ridiculously hard if they went down that road of trying to right. do it. And then, you know, I wasn't, to be honest, that concerned, which is mm-hmm. I know it's a lot of people. It was very scary, and it was a very scary time. And I think that's another reason we were in the front of it is that, you know, like you listed the companies I work with. Like I work with very big companies on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. I work with Fortune 500 companies for 30 years. Uh, I work with like the presidents and CEOs of these companies. Um, I, you know, have to do contracts with them on a constant basis. So 
to me, you know, this was just another company. I was like, you know, it's Hasbro. I'm not that scared of them. I really, right. you know, the, some of the lawyers I have work are their lawyers or used to be their lawyers. So I know their lawyers, you know, it's like, I know some of these people. So I wasn't that concerned um, just because of my day job. And then after I spoke to my lawyer, then the very next day, on the fifth, we had him on and he went through it. He's like, they can't do any of this. Mm-hmm. You know, he's like, good luck. You know, he, he was very adamant about, you know, he has like 35 years of contract law experience. Mm-hmm. And by the way, he said, it's funny because he didn't say he was an expert legally. He's not allowed to say, you're, low lawyers allowed to ever say they're an expert at anything. It's actually not allowed, but mm-hmm. he's been doing contract law for 35 years. So he he's, I'd say, an expert of contract law. And he went through it. And first of all, the OGL is 900 words. It's a very simple contract. You know, he's used to the contracts that are thousands of pages. You know, he's like, mm-hmm. this is it. It's like, just on my lunch break, you know, this is nothing. You know, so he, he looked at it and he's like, they can't do it. And he was giving, you know, he does a much better job explaining all the legality and the history of the system. He's like, you can't do it. And they can try and they can do anything they want. And that's very common, you know, back in the video game wars, back in the early 2000s, mm-hmm. there was a lot of laws being passed to limit free speech through video games and they all were very scary and they all were overturned (laughs) when they finally went to court because they were illegal. And I expected, I saw that and I've lived through that more than once. So I'm like, they're going to probably try to do it. They're going to scare people and then it's going to go to court and it'll get overturned. (laughs) And because it was so simple, they'd probably get a bench ruling and that would be it. It would be over. So I was not worried at all. And, um, you know, that's, I think we're in the middle of it because we were talking to a lot of the other content creators and, and I'm not dissing anyone else, but a lot of content creators are, you know, they, they, they don't have a professional or they might not all have some do some don't, but not all, all right. of them have uh, professional backgrounds or have worked, you know, in the same fields I have mm-hmm. um, or work with fortune 500 companies, you know, and, so I wasn't really not scared to go toe to toe with them. I wasn't scared. Um, you know, I talked to my lawyers nearly every day, you know, I really, they kept telling me there's nothing they can do, you know? So I was like, okay, so we'll just go up and against them. And then I thought about it and I kind of figured it out last night with our interview with uh, professor dungeon master, mm-hmm. what they didn't realize is, and it's, it keeps coming up is that the people at Hasbro and Watsi don't understand their customers and they really Mm -hmm. don't. And I feel that strongly because why people went nuts is because I think D and D and role-playing games are, they're not, you call this in, 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 you call this in um, advertising a lifestyle brand. Mm -hmm. This isn't a lifestyle brand. I think this is actually more like a religion. I think it's much closer to religion than lifestyle because this defies people's existence Mm-hmm. And people, mm-hmm. if you're taking away their religion and their existence, they will fight to the death. Mm-hmm. And people were. People got very, very angry very quickly. And everyone united in the blink of an eye. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, I guess uh, I guess I see how that works. You know, I've never experienced that before. Mm-hmm. But even I was like furious, you know. And, mm-hmm. you know, people still now, they will never, ever never go back you know ever to 5e or watsy no matter what Mm -hmm. they say or do because they were so angry with them and that seems good for the rest of the industry um, it's fantastic yeah they just they did exactly the opposite they were trying to clamp down and make as few competitors as possible and instead they destroyed a large part of their market Mm -hmm. share their market trust and have made thousands of competitors <laughs> in the blink of a week they were able yeah, to I do it i don't think <laughs> they were trying to get rid of their the low-level competition i actually think going forward oh, yeah, um were. with their movie <laughs> and everything else they were worried about disney and no other they were not. big companies coming in nah they said that it's total crap because oh. you don't have it where if you're making fifty thousand dollars you have to i mean when you were making yeah that's 50, true 000, the, the you had to register yeah, yeah you had yeah. to register everything even if you're not making fifty thousand right even if you're just grossing fifty thousand and a lot of that went to the printer and the books and all the things like that and and you're like a pretty niche you know you're doing it after your day job 
you are putting in a lot of money to it. And by the time you're done, you've spent tons of hours and you've made a profit of maybe five to 10,000 right. as like a tiny side hustle. You still have to send all of it to them and they could cancel you at any time. Yeah. Right. Well, with yeah, intellectual yeah. property, if they don't, if they don't deal with everybody who potentially could go against them with it, then, then that actually sets some precedence for everyone. So um, legally, I could see why there might might have been some reason to have that, but you're right. I think that that verbiage does not match up with the other. Now, Mark mentioned um, you were on the air when you heard about the open role playing game creative license getting started. Yes. Were you involved with that at all from the beginning, or was that something that was just strictly driven by a couple players, maybe Paizo, talking to somebody else? I, I'm, we were in the initial blog as one of the companies that supported it. Uh, I'll tell you exactly what happened. So uh, I was talking with Eric Moen a lot, and he and I were talking a bit about it. Um, and that's actually why we stayed on air, because Eric was texting me and say, oh, we're releasing. Mm -hmm. he, I knew exactly when it was getting released. So that's another reason we got in, like, as it got released before the website yeah. crashed, because he, he texted me and said it's up. So we went. Mm -hmm. um, we I mean, weren't... unfortunately, we may have helped crash the website since yeah, 8,000 oh, we people were watching. Yeah, oh, we definitely helped crash the website. Yeah. <laughs> we weren't in it as much as we wanted to be because Eric didn't want it to look like there was collusion between right. us because there right. wasn't. So, and, and I don't even know if you know this, Mark, but Eric and I were talking. So he and I, were, he was trying to keep us distant because there wasn't, there was no collusion. He did his thing. He was doing his thing. We were doing our thing. We talk a lot, but it was more just just as friends talking a lot. Um, so we were involved in as much as probably anyone else in the beginning and that we supported it. Mm -hmm. But now what's going to happen is, and everyone's in the same boat, is they're, they're building the orc right now. And then we'll be, they'll be putting it out and asking people for comments. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so we'll, you know, be, we'll be part of that first round. Um, we'll be stress testing it to make yeah. sure it works for us or anything else that we can find mm -hmm. in it that looks like a, a loophole or an issue. Right. Yeah. Right, but basically right. you can understand, I understand Paizo and Eric's footing. It's like, he was just very careful. He's like, look, obviously we have similar interests, but you're like a partner of ours and you're really leading this charge, you know? Mm -hmm. And it was like, there was a lot of potential conflicts of interest. So we had to be just careful. Right, and he right. kept me a little bit in the dark, like I knew a little bit, but he didn't want to tell me everything because, you know, plausible, plausible deniability. Right. Um, but now it's all out in the open, so it's all fine. So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. now, since Wizard is backtracked on any changes to you know 1.0a, are you still going to be producing under that license, or yeah. are you going to strictly move on to Orc? Well, one we haven't seen Orc, so I can't comment yeah. on Orc. That's okay. the first thing. Uh, right. First thing you, first thing in law is you can't comment on things until you see the document. So I have no right. idea. I imagine it's going to be really good, but until I see it, I can't do anything. For our Pathfinder products, we're still using OGL, but that will probably move over to Orc as soon as it's available and as long as we think it's good and applicable. Right. For our 5e stuff, we're still using OGL. Uh, I don't want to use Creative Commons because Creative Commons is a little too open, mm -hmm. and we still want protected property. Right, like we're, right. still you can still do protected identity mm -hmm. in OGL. And as I said, there's twenty. You can watch all of our videos on this. I won't rehash it. There's 23 years of precedence uh, of of you know history with the OGL. They've gone back. It, it, people are saying that they have actually been very careful in interviews, saying you know they haven't they haven't said they wouldn't ever try to revoke OGL 1.0a. So yes, they could always try again. It will be so in nearly impossible for them to hold that up in court, especially everything that's happened since. Mm -hmm. And they've already lost so many people. Like how much worse can their press get if they try to do this again? So mm -hmm. I think it's pretty safe. The public is in the creative commons. Yeah. Plus apparently they commons. didn't pick, they picked one that wasn't share like so. You might be able to even use it without putting any of your stuff in the Creative Commons. Okay. Yeah, I haven't looked mm -hmm. at it that close, but I spoke to my lawyers and even Ryan. Remember Dancy? Yeah, Ryan had mentioned uh, later after he yeah. talked to us that it was not a share-alike one that they picked, which mm -hmm. means that you might be able to use it 
and be completely closed. Um, yeah. But that's, uh, you know, we like the idea of, um, you know, contributing the game mechanic stuff to sort of a community. Um, and But being able to keep our world lore and other product identity that's really defines the sort of the battle zoo oh lore God. and IP to be separate than oh, that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Definitely. Cool. So um, if somebody wanted to get into, you know, say freelancing or even publishing right now, in light of everything that's going on, would you recommend that they wait for Orc to come out? Or given what you just said, it's just fine to keep using the, the OGL as it is and, it depends on what they want to do. Yeah, mm -hmm. and it also depends what platform. Like, if you're going to use, yes. uh, if you're going to use Pathfire Infinite or um, DMs Guild, they have their own license, so you don't mm -hmm. have to worry about any of this because they have mm -hmm. their own. If you're going to do your own stuff, use OGL. I mean, look, if they, tr they're not going to do anything. Okay, I mean, I, I've been right about everything except the one thing I was wrong about was I didn't think they'd ever revoke. I, I never think they would give up as quickly as they did, which was stunning. Like, mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. still can't believe they did that. Uh, kind of. Now I'm starting to see. Now I see what they're trying to do. I, I can understand because they, they had a lot of things in the pipeline that were starting to back up, and they right. needed to get it out. So they had to get this behind them very quickly. Mm -hmm. I will be very curious. I think in April, I'm curious. I think things might pick up depending on the the movie does. This I don't think this saga is over yet. Quite frankly, I think right. there's going to be a part two in April or May or the summer when it's quiet i think yes. they're gonna i think there's gonna be more to the saga it's just it's in a pause right now to be honest ogl 1.0 is very strong um there's other licenses out there i don't never use them but for other game systems so mm -hmm. it's not your only system and quite frankly if you're not using the srd mm -hmm. you don't need ogl 1.0 a in fact right. pathfinder and eric said this publicly they don't need it Right. They don't even need to use it. You don't need anything in there. <laughs> so. There were. So, I feel like there's some small changes that we probably would have made if we knew that we definitely weren't going to be using mm -hmm. the OGL. But it's not really a lot, right? Yeah. But to get back to your uh, actual question, John, I would say it depends on what game you're going to write for. If you're writing right. for Pathfinder 2nd Edition, then your only option right now, more or less, is to use um, the 1.0a and possibly the Pathfinder compatibility license, assuming mm -hmm. that you're not running for Infinite, like Steven said, which is its own right. separate license. And that's because Pathfinder is share alike on that license, and to even use it at all, you need that. Right. If you're running for 5e, um, check with your lawyer about what <laughs> actually is true with the Creative Commons that they decide yeah. to use, but I've heard that it's not even share alike, so you can just use it and not do anything. That may or may not be true. So check to make sure whether you need to put your stuff in Creative Commons or not. It sounds like you don't even have to, and you mm -hmm. might not have to do anything. Mm -hmm. If you're mm -hmm. doing another game, like Steven said, they, they all have their own license. So for none of those games, if you're getting started literally right now, like you were saying, for none of those games would you currently use Orc. Mm -hmm. But when mm -hmm. Orc comes out, you can decide if Orc is a good fit for you if one of the systems that you want to write for or more than one of them are, are in Orc. And I have faith that I think Orc is going to be a good choice later on, but for now, you you don't need it right now. Right, right. Well, cool. Well, thanks for uh, talking about that. I know you've been discussing uh, the whole thing quite a bit, and I just wanted to get a little perspective from you all, not just on what was happening, but what happened behind the scenes. And so that's, that's awesome that, to get that from you all. Oh, yeah. So well, it's been it's been all two weeks since we've spoken about yeah. it. Yeah. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> so what's uh, next for Roll for Combat? What's coming out that uh, you all can actually talk about here? That what can we expect here? So let's see. By the time this airs, it'll be like March second or something like that. Mm -hmm. And um. So we will be either close to having released or we probably will be like the, the week after that that we put out Battle Zoo Ancestry's Thenos, uh, which yeah. are the Medusa kin that first appeared in Bastiri 3 for Pathfinder 2nd Edition that are sort mm -hmm. of an ancestry. And that's being added on to the Year of Monsters. 
Uh, also in March, there's a lot of goodies coming out. We're going to have the Strange and Unusual Battle Zoo Bestiary, we're hoping, PDF uh, for Pathfinder 2nd Edition out sometime in March. Mm-hmm. And we are aiming, hopefully, to also have out a playtest for the Elemental Avatar class with two of the 13 elements uh, uh, by the v- very end of March. It'll only have two elements because we just want to know, does the chassis work? Does the build work? Right. With two elements so that we don't conflate it with just one element that has a particular ability that is changing all of the metrics. But before we write 11 other elements and just go running off right. doing those, we want to make sure, does the core functionality work? And so all of that is coming out in March. And would and that be continuing... a closed play test or is that going to be an open It's like one? some, I call it restricted because it's right. like, it's not a closed play test like the Starfinder play test where right. only a few groups um, that like new people at Paizo were play testing it, but it's not an open play test like mm-hmm. um, a Paizo class play test where they just put the PDF up right. and everybody looks at it. But it's, it's going to be like restricted generally to people who like have already backed and kick-started the project mm-hmm. and want to get on board oh, yeah, and work sense. with yeah, us yeah, yeah. Yeah, on the playtest. So it's a little you... in-between. It can be a little more manageable because we are two people and really only one of which is like really focused on looking at the at the playtest results and Paizo mm-hmm. would have had an entire design team. Uh, and so if one person gets sidetracked onto the playtest, other people are doing other design. Yeah, if you backed it on Kickstarter, you'll automatically be invited. And if you pre-order it on Battlezoo.com, if you pre-order the Eldemon, you can order the Foundry module or the PDF or the hardcover book. You'll be invited. You know, we again, we also want to limit it to people who are really interested in this, right? Um, right. Because those are the people who probably give us the most focused and the you know strongest feedback because they're the most invested um so you know it's to, if you give it to a completely open also we have to filter through a lot of you know a lot of feedback right, that right. can be all over the place and there's only two of us so <laughs> and uh and mark's gonna probably do most of that so we just want to get very clean focused feedback and quite frankly we've been doing this with our other products and it works very well Mm-hmm. Um, it was fantastic have, with yeah. our other products. Yeah, I'm hoping that we don't get like an order of magnitude more people this time than last time because that might mm-hmm. be too much. But um, if we can have something like we did for, say, the Dragon Book, mm-hmm. that was I I felt like that restricted play test was one of the best sweet spots yeah, compared to closed play tests, which I've done and they don't always have enough people. I've done the, the Paizo open play test, which I've done at Paizo, and they sometimes have so many that it takes a whole lot of effort to get the information out, even though you get some amazing stuff from those. Mm-hmm. So I really liked the restricted play test last time. I'm hoping that it's going to be awesome here too. All right. One last question. Are we going to see another RPG superstar coming out? <laughs> well, I think so. Uh, we already announced last year that the next one is going to be called elemental storm. We announced it at PaizoCon okay. last year. Um, but we didn't put it out at all last year because there were just a lot of things going on. So mm-hmm. I would assume that we might have it for this year since we didn't have it for the last year, right. but there's no official announcement of that yet. All right. All right. Just open, just open. So yeah. Right. Um, at the, at considering what's going on and I feel bad. We missed a year because everyone's like, where was 2023? And I'm sorry. Where's 2022? And I was like, yeah, there's a lot going on, and it actually takes about four to six months for to go from beginning to end, and right. then you got to work right. on it. It's actually a very long process because I want to yeah. give people time. So, you know, it was like if I didn't really launch it by the summer, it probably wasn't. It was going to go into this year, which is actually right. what happened to the other ones. Um, I think every other late. year or yeah, every year it and got a half very is late. just a natural pace. Yeah, it just got very late, and then it was the holidays, and I'm just like, yeah, if I launch, it's just very hard to launch in the fall. It's a little easier to launch uh, right. in the beginning or middle of the year. So uh, I put it this way. We we announced there would be another one. So yep. it's just a question of when it comes out. But it'll okay. probably be pretty soon. 
pretty soon. <laughs> I like it. I like. I it. think every other year works for this. It would be nice from the participants' point of view to have more of them, but I think from the point of view of like how many best series we make, yeah, um, right. And like like Stephen said, the length of the process from open call for the for the entire contest to letting people write it to judging it to mm-hmm. bring it in to us doing the pass and the artists and the layout and all of those things doing that every year is very tight timing uh right. wise whereas doing it every other year is actually kind of loose it gives us some room to mm-hmm. not have to worry about it too much to make sure it's going to be the best product it can be so yeah there's going to be a lot of competition if we do it again i think because uh yeah. we got all the 5e people coming in now and they yeah. uh they want to learn the system so i think yeah. it's going to be uh i think it's going to be interesting <laughs> be good it'll be good well steven it was it's great getting the chance to chat with you and get to know you and mark uh good to see you again thank you both for joining us on the podcast today thanks yeah. for having us thanks for having us yeah it was fun